0: All right, so we are going to look at a story today. Now, this is a story that's told in three of the four Gospels. And, and what happened was, it was a few weeks ago that we jumped ahead just before Easter, and we looked at Palm Sunday through in, in Matthew, and then we looked at the resurrection. And uh, so we, we, we kind of skipped around a little bit. But there was this story that's there in Matthew, and we kind of skipped over it. So I wanted to come back today. This is, this is a, uh, a great story. There's going to be something in here for every one of us as we begin this today. I want us to begin by asking the question, what is that one prayer that if God were to answer this one prayer everything in our lives would change? And, and the truth is we all have that one prayer, don't we? And if you were to look in my life I can tell you that that one prayer if God would answer everything would change has been different at different points in my life. And so I, you want to you find out what that question is because I believe God wants to do something about that. But also as we get into this we're going to find ourselves in this story. We're going to see ourselves at some point in this story, and that's going to be important as we go. Now also, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that there's a whole lot more going on as you read through the Bible than just what we read on the surface. It's the Word of God, and so there's a lot more going on, a lot of layers as far as looking at it, seeing what it has to say. So there's this great verse back in Hosea, and it says this. I put it on your outline. It says, God's speaking. He says, I've also spoken by the prophets. I have multiplied visions. And you certainly see that as you go through the Old Testament, uh, especially if you see prophets like Ezekiel. There's lots of visions that God gives. He says, I've used visions and I've used similitudes, and I've underlined that, by the ministry of the prophets. Now, the word similitude is not a word that we're typically familiar with. It's something that God uses, but it's not a word that we commonly use. Now, that word similitude means, uh, the best way to say it is it's like a word picture. So God will take a story, and as he's telling the story, he's also giving us a picture of something else. Today today we're going to see that. You, you'll remember that when we looked at the resurrection of Jesus One of the Gospels said that there were a number of women who went to the tomb, but Mark's Gospel focused in on the story of one of the women who was there. It was a similitude. It was a picture of something that that God wanted to share with us. So today we're going to see that that we're going to be looking at a similitude. And uh, what we've called this today is Bart and Me. So the question is going to be, what is it that God wants to say to me through this story? And we're going to pick this up in Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to read verses 29 and 30, it says, and they were, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd, and I want you to underline that word crowd, it's going to be important for our story, followed him. And in Matthew's gospel, it says, two blind men were sitting by the road, hearing Jesus was passing by, and they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. So again, this story is told in three of the four Gospels. So when Mark tells the story, he adds a couple of details that will be important for our study today. There in your outline, it says, When they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples together uh, with a large crowd, and I've underlined the word crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man. that gives us his name, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, and he's begging. So there's a little bit more of a detail. He's there, and he's begging. Now what's important here is that Matthew tells us that there are two who are there, where Mark will tell us the name of one. Mark is not denying that there is two, but because this is a similitude, Mark's gonna just tell us about one of the guys. So uh, here, both men we're going to find today are both going to receive from the Lord but Mark is only going to tell the story of one of the guys, and it tells us that his name is Bartimaeus. So who is this person Bartimaeus? Well, there on your outline, I put his name from the original language. Of course, we, we, you know, it's not, we, we're not really familiar with that. So the word Bartimaeus is a compound word. The word bar just means son. So you're reading through the Gospels and you come across this phrase that says Simon Bar-Jonah. just means Simon the son of Jonah. That's all it means. Bar just means son. But where it gets interesting is the word tome is a a unique word. It means foul in a religious sense. Does everybody see that on your outline? You want to underline that. Then it it can also be translated as defiled, uh, infamous, or polluted, polluted. So when it says son of of Timaeus, Bartimaeus, literally in that language his name meant son of defilement, son of pollution, son of uncleanness. So it's not a very positive name. And this is the name that he has when he meets Jesus. And this is who he is prior to meeting Jesus. Well, the good news in the story, and certainly you know how this is going to end, this is not how Jesus is going to leave him at the end of the story. But he begins in his name as son of pollution, son of defilement. And he is at this place called Jericho. Jericho. So if you were to look like in a Strong's Dictionary, it takes the Greek word, it points back to a couple of words back in the Hebrew. So there on your outline, Jericho, they would say, uh, and notice it says perhaps from, and it gives an Old Testament word, and Old Testament words and Greek words and dictionaries have numbers to them, or else from, and it gives another one, and the other one will be fragrant. So on the one hand, if you take this word Jericho and you go back to the Hebrew, it, it, it goes back to two, two words. And uh, one word would mean fragrant or place of fragrance. And I put that there on your outline. And uh, it would be defined as a noted city abounding, abounding in balsam, honey, cypress, and myrobalanus, which is not a word that we're very familiar with. It just means fruit of the palm, fruit of the palm, and roses and other fragrant products. So one of the things that we notice about this Bartimaeus is that he is in a place of abundance. And you want to write that down. A place of abundance. So the son of defilement uh, is living in a place of abundance. So how do we know that it's a place of abundance? Well we know that there are at least two blind men there sitting by the road and they are begging. You don't do that unless there is enough income that that people would be giving you. So this would be a place of, of abundance. Also what we're going to find is that word Jericho goes back to two Hebrew words. The other word there on your outline is, uh, I won't even try to pronounce it, Yerikah, we would say and it just means the moon. Does everybody see that? It just means the moon. And uh, so here's what we're going to find. This is a place where people don't worship the Lord. They don't worship God or they didn't worship God. So go ahead and write that down. Jericho just means the moon. Just means the moon. It was so pagan that back when Joshua was leading the people into the promised land, they came to this town of Jericho and God says you have to destroy it. You absolutely have to destroy it. It, it, it just means the moon. If you've been around the Bible for any length of time, you know there was a guy back in the beginning, his name is Abraham. Abraham's called the father of faith. He was the beginning of the Jewish people. Before Abraham becomes a believer in the God, in the God of the Bible, and follower of God, he prior to that worshipped the moon god of war back in Ur of the Chaldees, and the name of that god was All. All was the name of the moon god of war, and his symbol was a crescent moon. Later on, that word All would evolve into the name of uh, the same god, slightly different pronunciation, which would be Al-Ah and his symbol is also the crescent moon. So this town just means the moon. What's also important to know is that the people of Jericho did not name the town the moon. This is what the Hebrews, the Jewish people, called it because that was what was worshipped there. So it was, it's just called the moon. It was a place where people did not worship God. So here you have Bartimaeus, He's the son of pollution, the son of defilement. He's living in a place of abundance where they don't really worship God. He's blind, and I think that we would all agree that he's in his life recognizing that life has not turned out the way that he had always dreamed. It's not, it's just, it's, it's not what he'd always hoped. And you get the sense that he's probably sitting there day after day thinking, is this all there is? Is, you know, is this all that life is? So what is his situation there in your outline, write this down, we'll move through this pretty quick. Bartimaeus knew that his condition was hopeless. There was nothing that he could do to fix his situation. So he was helpless, and you want to write that down, you you can't fix it, and he's desperate. He's desperate. So there in your outline I put, this is where Jesus shows up in his life and ours. His situation is a picture of us spiritually before Jesus. This is who we are before we encounter Jesus. You go through the Bible, you'll find that the condition prior to encountering Jesus is commonly referred to as blindness. So, Paul would say it like this there in your outline In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, again, this is a similitude, so, this is going to be a story but it's also a picture of something greater. So what we're going to find, and you want to write this down, like many, Bart, Bartimaeus, is seeking help from anyone. anyone, Whoever has an answer, he wants in. But up till now in his life, no one has been able to change his situation. So he hears that Jesus is coming by, and Matthew doesn't tell it But when Luke tells the story, Luke tells it like this. Now hearing a crowd, and I want you to underline the word crowd, that's going to be important for our study because in all three Gospels it highlights a crowd. We'll talk about that in a moment. The crowd is going by, he began to inquire what this was. So he hears about Jesus and so he begins to ask, what is, what is all this about? He's probably heard some stories about Jesus, some of the healings and some of the things that have taken place. But what we're going to notice is that there's something about hearing about Jesus that does something deep inside of this Bartimaeus. So much so that as he hears that Jesus is going by, he is inquiring and all of a sudden inside of him we would say the lights go on we would say. Uh, And It's at this point where Bartimaeus recognizes Jesus as his Savior. So verse 31, notice it says, the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. And he cried out all the more, they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And I've underlined that whole line. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now when Mark tells it, because Mark is only telling the story about Bartimaeus. Uh, Bartimaeus is young, Lord, have mercy on me. So, certainly, they're saying that. Matthew is telling the story about both of them. Mark would tell the story about one of them as he uh, creates this picture. When he says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, he is recognizing who Jesus is. Back in what you and I would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, some would call it the Old Covenant there were these prophecies of this one who would come in the future, he would be called the Christ, he would be the Messiah, he would be the Savior of the world. One of the things that is mentioned about him is that he's always called the son of David. Now David was a king all the way back in the Old Testament about a thousand years before Jesus was born. This one who would come who would be the Savior of the world, he would be a descendant of David. So there on your outline you'll see when Matthew's gospel begins, it says the record, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God had said that when this Messiah arrives, he would be a descendant of David. What's foreign to you and I as Westerners on the other side of the world, in, in our language, we have a son, we have a grandson, we have a great-grandson. Uh, we have parents and we have grandparents but back in the Hebrew, they didn't have the term for grandson, great-grandson. So if somebody came after you, you just said, that's my son. And those who came after you, they would point back, that's my father. You could be the great-great-great-grandfather, but they would just say my, my father. They only had one word. So this one who would come would be a descendant of this king called David. Well, not only that, but we're going to find about 500 years plus before Jesus is born, there was a prophet And his name was Jeremiah and he also gave some details of this one who would come in the future. There on your outline it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up to David, underline that, and everybody got who he was talking about, a righteous branch, a king, and you want to underline that, who will reign wisely. This is the name by which he will be called. So here's what we're going to call him. And you want to underline, the Lord our righteousness the Lord our righteousness. One would come from this King David, he would be also a king, but his name would be the Lord our righteousness. In that context, it meant that he would be God, but he would be our righteousness. Now here's what this means. You and I, if we have anything good in us, uh, as it relates to our relationship with the Lord, We don't bring anything to the table. We don't bring any righteousness or goodness. Anything that we have is something that he has supplied for us that makes him the Lord our righteousness. He would be fully man and he would be fully God. He has done it all for us is the idea. So far so good? Well going on here's what this one would do when he arrived. It says, say to those with fearful hearts there in your outline, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. So here they're calling him God. He will come with a vengeance, with divine retribution, and he will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. One of the things that they said that this Messiah, who would be God, would do when he arrived unlike anybody else, he would be opening the eyes of the blind, physically and then also spiritually is the idea. So Bartimaeus, the son of defilement, knows this. He begins to cry out, Lord, son of David, recognizing who he is. Not only that, but notice he says there in your outline, he says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. That word Lord there just means supreme in authority. It just means God or Lord. So here's what he's doing. Very important. You want to write this down. Bart recognizes Jesus as God, and he cries out for mercy. You want to write that down. Verse 31. He says, "The crowd sternly told the told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us." So I, I want to talk about something here that's probably a little bit awkward, and. Um, so if, if this doesn't go well, you let me know, and I, just, I won't share it at the next service, okay? Just give me a pass on this. They are crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. But I, I want you to notice verse 31, it says, but the crowd, my translation says, sternly told them. Some of your Bibles will say rebuked them. How many of your Bibles say rebuked them? Okay. And uh, how many of your Bibles say they, they warn them? Warned, the crowd is warning them, okay? You, know, you, you need to be quiet, is the idea. So here, here's what we're finding here you have this crowd that is following Jesus, they're enjoying Jesus' presence, they're enjoying the things that Jesus is saying. Um, but, but right now, the biggest barrier. For Bartimaeus coming to Jesus is going to be, and you want to write this down, other followers. Other followers. I believe in this that this was included by the Holy Spirit to be a warning for you and I. Because we need to be careful that we never become the barrier for those who are wanting to come to Jesus. Now here's how this works. You and I live in what's called one of the most unchurched regions in the United States. Some statistics say that it's as low as only 5% of the population actually attends church, has any relationship with God whatsoever. I think it's probably a little bit higher than that, but, but, but still it's, it's pretty low. So here you have a crowd that's following Jesus. They are enjoying being in Jesus's presence they are enjoying hearing the things that Jesus has to say. Here is a man who is crying out to Jesus, but those who are following, those who are enjoying being with Jesus' presence, look at this man as kind of an irritation. He's, he, he would be an inconvenience to them. And because they're, they're just enjoying this being with Jesus. So for them, their relationship with Jesus is all about what they like. But in their following Jesus and enjoying being part of his presence they are missing, I think you would agree, the heart and the purpose of Jesus. For them it's all about what they like, enjoying his presence and just being there around him hearing what he has to say. But here's a man who's crying out and it's his followers who are telling the man to be quiet. I think there's a warning in there for us. There are times um, when somebody will say something like, um, you know, Pastor Dan, uh, you know, we really like the size of this church, and uh, we like that, that it's just the right size for our family, we just really enjoy that. Now, they don't mean it, they don't mean it, but implied in that is this really works for us. And the fact that there are Bartimaeuses all around us who are seeking answers uh, is secondary to the fact that this is what we like. We are comfortable here. We have to be very careful of that heart. As long as there are Bartimaeus is out, we have to have the heart of Jesus which would say, go get them. Sometimes in our following Jesus, you know, what, what works for us? Some would say, I'm not really crazy about the style of worship that you have. I, I don't like it because, you know, it's it's not what it, I just don't, it doesn't work for me. I don't like it. And what we forget is that the style of worship has to be designed in order to reach the Bartimaeuses who are around us, not what is personally comfortable for us. I grew up in a church where we only used the King James Version of the Bible. And just know, I can spakest unto thee. <laughs> yea, verily. But I realize, although I'm very comfortable if I'm going to reach the Bartimaeuses around me, sometimes I have to give up my preferences. We never want our preferences to become the barrier to reaching the Bartimaeuses around us. Does that make sense? So here's the crowd and in there telling Bartimaeus to be quiet, they're missing the heart and, and they are missing the purpose of Jesus. So Jesus, there on your outline, Luke tells it like this, Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. You get the sense that Jesus is a little bit irritated. Bring him to me. Don't tell him to stay over there. Bring him to me. Jesus' heart is to reach the Bartimaeuses that are around us. So we never by our preferences want to become the barrier to to not bringing people to Jesus. Well the good news, verse 32 it says, and Jesus stopped. By the way, underline the word stopped. All of the, of the, the stories have the word stopped. And called them and said what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord we want our eyes to be opened. So here's what we notice. they're, They're young, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Go ahead and write this down. A cry for mercy always stops Jesus. And that's recorded in all three of the Gospels. So it's at this point where as he's crying out to Jesus, here's what we get from that. You want to write this down. The son of defilement places his faith in Jesus. Now, we know that because Luke tells it like this there in your outline. He said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight, underline your faith has made you well. I love that because he's placed his faith in Jesus. When he places his faith in Jesus, it turns into uh, his eyes being open, both physically and I would say spiritually too. What I also love about this is that he didn't try to clean himself up before he came to Jesus. He just realized that he didn't have the answers. Nobody had the answers, but Jesus had the answer. So whatever I have to do to get to Jesus, I'm going to do it. Does that make sense? So Bartimaeus is a lot like us. You know, you and I live in a place of abundance, one of the uh, wealthiest places literally on the planet. And it's a place where when you look at the population, God isn't worshiped all that much people are searching for answers. And then verse 34, we notice it says, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. I love verse 34 because it tells us that when he came to Jesus, he experienced not criticism or judgment, he experienced compassion. And so he comes to Jesus and Jesus touches. And when Jesus touches, immediately he sees. All three Gospels have the word immediately, immediately. There's a change. Something happens immediately. So the question is, what does it look like when somebody is touched by Jesus? Well, we read verse 34, move with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight, and then it says, and followed him. When Luke tells the story, Luke adds a little bit of detail. Luke says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, and I've underlined that, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. All the people saw it, they also praised God. So, so there's some things that we notice what it looks like when somebody's touched by Jesus. They've gone from blindness to the eyes are open. First thing that we notice is, you want to write this down, they begin to follow Jesus. He began to follow Jesus. And that's in all three Gospels. All, all the Gospels that tell the story says immediately he begins to follow Jesus. And what that, that means is he, he doesn't go back to the place where he was before. He just begins to follow Jesus. And then we notice that he begins to openly praise God. Openly praise God. He just responds. Nobody has to tell him, hey, you need to praise God. He just openly does that. I think that, that um, you and I live in a generation where those who profess to have been touched by him don't always respond by openly praising him. My theory on that is that somehow, some way, we miss what it is that Jesus has actually done for us and what it is that he saved us from. If we recognize what it is that Jesus did for us and what he's actually saved us from, we would automatically begin to praise him for the change that he's brought into our life. But you and I live in a generation that sometimes misses that. I think it's also important to, to, as it says, he begins to praise God. Um, you, and, you and I live in a generation and part of the world where when a story is told, it typically, typically concludes by saying something like, and they all lived happily ever after. When you, you look at this story, there's the parts that we see and then there's the parts that we don't really think about. So there's some parts in here that, that we tend to miss over, or we, we tend to just uh, pass over, we miss. One of the things that we find is that having his eyes open and following Jesus and praising him is going to mean something for this man. One of the things that it's going to mean is there's going to be a complete loss of income. Have You ever thought about that? I mean, you're blind and you're begging. You can't really go back there the next day to your old job. Do you agree? But he doesn't care. You know, I can see. I don't care that I can't get of a job. I see. I think it's important also to realize that if you've been a blind man begging, you don't really have any marketable skills. That's okay. I don't care. I, I see. That's all that matters. He and Jesus are going to begin that journey of working out those issues. Uh, it could be, you know, m- many times we think that it all just works out. I, I'm, I'm going to suggest that, that he is now able to see but he's probably still single, you know? It's not like he got married, he's he's still single. Or worse, he's married and he goes home and sees what his wife really looks like. (laughs) Let's move on. We don't know. (laughs) So, now, what's also, we're going to find that he's, he's, his eyes have been open. he's following Jesus' praising, but we're going to see that there's going to be a a complete change in his relationships. You see, the people that he had been hanging out with before, who had also been blind and, and begging, well, he can go back to help them, but now he sees and he can't beg, he's not going to have a lot in common with the old crowd. And so for him, it's going to mean a complete change in his relationships. So so there's a whole lot going on but he doesn't care because he knows his condition. Before I was blind and I was begging but now I see, I would say both physically and spiritually and now I'm following Jesus and I'm praising him even if everything hasn't been completely worked out. It begins a whole new challenging journey for this man. Does that make sense? So lastly one of the things that we find Let me just read that again from Luke there in your outline. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it they also praised God. Now what what hits me in this is that everybody sees that there has been a definite change in this man. There's something about going from blindness to light, to being able to see. So write this down. Others see the change and they begin to praise God because of what they see. They look at his life and they say, you're different. Things are very different in your life. And, and it begins for him an entirely new journey. Doesn't mean all the challenges have gone away, it's just now that he sees them with his eyes being opened. You know, one of the things that hits me as you read all of, the, all of the ways that this is written, once he cries out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Once he's touched by Jesus, he is never again referred to as Bartimaeus, the son of defilement. That identity is gone. And so now he'll only see himself by his new identity. I I share that today. By the way, did you find that at least interesting? Good, good, good. You know, we're all in this story somewhere. For for some of us, we are Bartimaeus, and we're at that place where we realize we've been looking for answers. Nothing has worked. We realize our condition. Uh, We look at life. We say, I always thought there would be more. I thought it would be better. And then one day we begin to hear about Jesus. And when we hear about Jesus in the stories, something happens inside. We don't manufacture that, but it's in hearing that somehow he uses that to bring us to the place where we say yes, I want that. What I I love about that story is that when we say yes, we encounter Jesus having compassion. It's not criticism, it's compassion. We don't clean ourselves up before we come to him. We just call out, have mercy on me. He touches us. The lights go on. Everything changes. Everything changes, but there's still challenges. The difference is now we face those with the lights being on in relationship with Jesus. He begins to work with us as we take on those challenges. So we we find ourselves at some point in our life, like blind Bartimaeus, who is no longer blind, a whole new identity. If that's you today, and in just a few moments, I'm going to close in prayer. And if that's you, you have the opportunity to invite Jesus to come into your life as you cry out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. You will experience his compassion and the good news is that once he steps into your life, he will never leave, never. So then you are his and then you begin following him and then you too begin to work out the details of your life. My greatest concern for our church is that we wouldn't be like Bartimaeus. We would be like the crowd that's following Jesus. But when we encounter the Bartimaeuses who are around us because they make us uncomfortable. Because they are inconvenient. Because we really like being around Jesus and hearing the things that he has to say. uh, we might find ourselves missing the heart and the purpose of who Jesus is, even in our following him to where Jesus has to say, go get them. So I, I think there's a warning in that and a place for all of us to evaluate where we are. I really believe that God's heart is to reach the Bartimaeus's. Around us, and that's the kind of church that we want to be. And sometimes that means giving up our preferences and the things that make us comfortable so that we can reach those that He wants to reach. Does that make sense? Prior to being here at Calvary, I was at another church called Calvary and I was over the addictions ministry. And in life, you have those slice of life moments that you never forget. And uh, in ministry you have the same thing. And so I was over the addictions ministry and there was this one night where this lady, there was a couple hundred people in the, in the addictions ministry and there was this one lady who wasn't there in this one night. She was always there. But this one night she wasn't there. And so uh, we ended the addictions meeting that night and uh, this car pulls up. We're all standing outside saying goodbye and this car pulls up and uh, this hysterical lady gets out of the car screaming, and uh, the car speeds off real quick. And it's the the lady who had been part of our addictions ministry. And uh, without getting too graphic, she was sick, and uh, things were coming out. And she came running up, and uh, so she's hysterical. And as she is in her hysteria, she tells the story that she knew she was supposed to be at church, she knew she was supposed to be part of the addictions ministry that night, somebody asked her to go out on a date, she'd been clean for so long, they gave her something, they're going out, he's putting the moves on her, and all of a sudden the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes into her life. And she begins to scream, take me to Calvary, take me to Calvary. He thinks, he thinks he's, you know, she's like totally psycho. So he pulls up into the church and opens the door, she jumps out, he speeds away. And she comes running up. And the part that hit me, the slice slice of life of ministry was this. When she messed up, she blew it. She knew if I get there, if I get there, I'll get help. I'll get compassion. So even if it meant screaming on the date, that's the type of church we're called to be where the Bartimaeuses around us look and they say, whatever's going on, if I can get there, I'll get help. We need to be the crowd that sees the Bartimaeuses and we say, let's get you to Jesus. Yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's dirty. But there's nothing like it when you see that. That's our heart. That's what we want. So I think there's an opportunity for us to evaluate the crowd that's following. Who are we going to be? Well, with that, we're going to close in prayer. If you're here today and you're a Bartimaeus and you were to say, I know I need this, then today's your opportunity. If you're the follower of Jesus, enjoying being around him, loving the teaching, but forgetting that it was his heart to bring the Bartimaeus to him. Evaluate and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? There's great opportunity. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we wrap this up today. Lord, for those of us who are here today, and we've been hearing about you, we realize our situation. We always thought that there'd be more. Always thought that life would somehow be different. But we've heard about you, and we've heard about the changes that you've made in other people's lives and we want that. So like Bartimaeus, we cry out to you, Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And so we come to you and we ask you to take us and give us your compassion and touch us. Let the eyes be open. Let us see what we didn't see before. So we invite you in. Forgive us of everything we've ever done. If that's you today, I want you to know that after the service there's going to be some prayer partners standing by. They would love to pray with you. Pray with them as you solidify this decision. Don't leave here today until you know that you know that you know that you've taken that step. But Lord, for those of us who find ourselves following Jesus, enjoying Jesus, but somehow bothered by the Bartimaeuses around us, Lord, Bring us back to the place where we recognize your purpose and your heart and help us to be part of what it is that you want to do. I pray, God, that you do great things in the life of this congregation. Father, thank you for this day. I pray that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.